Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is February 15, and our chapter reading for today is Numbers 13. Yes, we went from Leviticus 23 all the way to Numbers 13. We're beginning to make our way through the Word of God and beginning to formulate the story of God as we go along. In Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 23, we learned about the Moed, the special appointed times that God has appointed for his people. It is God's calendar throughout the year, and it is his prophetic calendar as well. That's right. The Lord Jesus, I believe, was born in the lambing season in the month of Aviv. That is the springtime when all the lambs are born, the Levitical lambs that would be sacrificed a year later. It was on the 10th of Nisan that the lambs were to be presented and chosen as a sacrifice. And then it was the 14th of Nisan when they were sacrificed at Passover. That began the time of unleavened bread. And then you had first fruits. Jesus was crucified on Passover. He arose from the dead on first fruits. Then the next great event on God's timetable was Shavuot, what we call Pentecost. And we know that the Holy Spirit came in a brand new way to live in the life of every believer, the strongest to the weakest. And the next great event is the blowing of the trumpet. Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of something new. I believe that that is the raptus, the taking away of the church before the great days of tribulation. That is talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through the end of the chapter. But God has a calendar. God really does. And uh, the Moed are his prophetic charts, his prophetic days in which he has moved in the past. And I believe they are the signals for the future. And so we looked at the greatest of those days, the Day of Atonement, which is the holiest day of all to God's people, Israel. And that happens in the fall of the year. And that was in Leviticus 16. Throughout the book of Leviticus, we have various laws and rules and regulations that were given to let the children of Israel know how they were to proceed and to put together the nation as a civil, just nation, showing mercy, yes, but a just nation where there were laws, where there were accommodations for those who had trouble but needed to make appeal and have recourse. All of those things are talked 
talked about in the book of Leviticus. But then we come to the book of Numbers. Now, the book of Numbers is called Numbers because of the Greek Septuagint that we've talked about on several occasions. That's where we get the names of our present English divisions of the Bible, our present names. We looked at Genesis. That's the word, the Greek word for beginnings. And then you have the word echodos is the word for the way out. Then you have Leviticus pertaining to the Levites. And now we have arithmoi. Yes, that's where we get our word arithmetic because the census is taken immediately in chapter one of Numbers. But the name of the Hebrew book is Bamidbar. And it means in the wilderness. And if you look at Numbers chapter 1, you will see, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness, Bamidbar. That is the name of the book in Hebrew. And as you go through this book of Numbers, you will see just how central the tabernacle, which was the place of worship, the tent of meeting, the tent of appointment, the tent of Moed, where God said, I will meet with my people. And God laid out how the tabernacle was to go before the people. It was to be disassembled, built, then disassembled. It was the first to follow the pillar of fire or the cloud, whichever was leading them. They did not move unless the cloud moved. God was teaching them obedience, whether they were to stay somewhere a week, a month, two months, or a year, God was showing them that when he moved, they move, and they did not move until he moved. Now, we have a real tendency in our day to not listen to God, but say, we already know what we're doing. We don't need to consult God. We just do that. Well, when God's plainly told us to do something, we do it. But otherwise, we need to seek the face of God. And unless God leads, we don't need to do something that we don't know what we're doing or go somewhere where we don't know where we're going or to be involved in something that we don't know that much about it. So we have to be very careful in what we do because things can look good on the outside but not be so good on the inside. And all you have to do is read the book of Joshua and you will learn about the Gibeonites and the deception of the Gibeonites. And so God was trying to teach his people this. And so when they moved, the camp had to be disassembled and then they were to let the tabernacle lead the way, the worship. Why? Because it's central in all we do. Man is made to worship God and to glorify him in every way. That's the whole purpose of why we're here, is to know God and to worship him and to make him known to others. But primarily, we are to build our lives around worship. And God was trying to teach his people this. Remember, they had been in a foreign land for 400 years. They didn't know how to worship. Just like we are. We don't know how to worship. We think it's all about music or we think it's all about 
this or that, but there's various aspects of worship. It's not just prayer. It's not just praise. It's not just preaching. It is all of the above and far more. And so God said, we're going to arrange the camp and everything's going to be built around the place where you will meet God, just like your lives are to be. Your lives are to be centered around God himself. And so the tabernacle was set up first and the entire camp was built around the place where God met with his people. On the east, you had Judah, Issachar, Zebulon. Now, this was after right around the tabernacle were the Levites, the priest, and then Moses. Moses was camped at the gate, the eastern gate. Then the tribe of praise was right in front of Moses. How do you enter into the gates? How do you enter into the Lord's courts? Well, the psalmist said we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with Yadah with praise. And so Judah was right there at the head of the tribes at the eastern gate. Why? Because he is the tribe whose name means praise. And that's how you enter into the presence of God is with praise and thanksgiving. Not going always asking for something, but going into the presence of God with thanksgiving and with praise, even if we're going to ask him for something. Then you had Dan, Asher, and Naphtali, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, and then Reuben, Shimon, Simeon, and Gad. But in the center of everything, in the center of all the tribes, were Moses, Aaron, and his sons, the Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the sons of Merari. All of those were encamped all around the tabernacle because they had to serve. And so after all of the laying out of the camp, we are on our journey. And for 12 chapters, you have the ups and downs and the ebb and flow of the journey. And that's the way it is in the wilderness. But now, by the way, remember, this was a legitimate desert. This was a wilderness of God's choosing. Now, we're going to learn in tomorrow's podcast and today's podcast at the end that we can choose a wilderness that is illegitimate, one that is a result of disobedience, and that is a long journey. But God leads us through the wilderness many times. The health and wealth of people don't get this, but sometimes God deliberately puts us into a wilderness so that we'll learn to depend on Him for manna every day, so that we will learn to depend on Him for water. And even when we have bitter water, we can make it sweet with the cross of Christ. And that's exactly what God's trying to teach us. And so this was a legitimate desert that they're going through in the first 12 chapters of the book of Numbers. And as they go through the wilderness, they come to Kadesh Barnea. And at Kadesh Barnea, Moses sent out spies. And the Bible says in verse 13, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. So God told Moses, get a representative, the leader of every one of the tribes, and they're all named. Verse 6, you have a prominent one from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. 
Then in verse 16, the Bible said, These are the names of the men whom Moses sent out to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. You see, his name was Hosea, which means salvation. And so Moses named him what we call Joshua. And so the spies were sent out, and they were sent north. They went all the way to Hamat, and that is in northern Syria. They went through Lebanon. They went through all of the north and the mid-country, the south country, Moses said, I want you to go. I want you to spy out the land. They went right up that patriarchal highway that Abraham had walked, that Isaac and Jacob had walked 400 years previously. They went to Hebron where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their wives are buried. They came to a place called the Valley of Eshkel. They cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. It was so big, so large, so heavy that you had them carrying this cluster of grapes between poles. And when they got back, the report was given And 10 of the spies, the vast majority of the spies, gave a negative report. Only two, the minority report, were accurate and were godly and were right on. It says in verse 26, now they departed, that is, from their days of spying and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. Paran, it's called in English, at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, see, there's always a but. I call these billy goat Christians. That is, there's always a but somewhere. People used to say about Jerry Falwell, I love Dr. Falwell, but... And I just got sick of hearing that. And one day somebody said, well, I love Dr. Falwell. And I knew what they were going to say there, but he asked for money. And he's that. And I said, I don't want to hear any buts. You're nothing but a billy goat Christian. And if all you're going to do is run down a man that's out serving God, I don't want to talk with you anymore. And we didn't talk for a while. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. Well, of course they are. And they are very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, these were very tall people. And the Amalekites dwelt in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwelt in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwelt by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once, thank God for Caleb, and take possession. For we are well able to overcome it. Now listen to this. But the men who had gone with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw there are of great stature. By the way, that was a lie. Everybody wasn't. 
That's what happens when you get carried away and get to looking at everybody around. And there we saw giants, the descendants of Anak that came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. You know what they had problems with? Not their eyes, with their heart. You know why Caleb was saying what he did? We can overcome them because he was looking at the size of his God, not the size of the people that were the potential enemies. You see, this is how David overcame Goliath. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would talk about our God like this? Well, he wasn't looking at the size of Goliath. He was looking at the size of God. And what is a person like Goliath? Well, he's nothing more than a pissant. Now, I know some of you think I just cursed. I didn't. A pissant is actually a type of ant, and it's very, very small. And I'm going to liken this giant, Goliath, and the sons of Anak to pissants. Pissants up against an elephant— times 10,000, because you see, God is limitless. There is nothing that God cannot do. And God had given them instruction to go into the land. And he sent the spies in so that they could come back and encourage the people. But what did they do? They had heart trouble, not eye trouble. They had heart trouble. Because you see, it is from the heart that the vision is given, not from the eyes. Because our eyes will deceive us. But a heart that's set on God will walk in the path that He lays out for us. Let's walk on the path of God as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.